Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode of CanadaLand is brought to you by Hover.com. You don't have to be just starting your website to use Hover for your URL and email. You can move your website over there really quickly and easily, and you should. Get 10% off your first purchase when you go to Hover.com. Use the offer code CanadaLand. So here's a fresh new nightmare to consider. Fake news. Not the funny kind, not the Jon Stewart fake news where you know it's fake. Not advertorial where it's an advertisement dressed up as a news story. That's fake news, but it's news about some product or something. So, you know, usually doesn't matter that much. Not fake news like some hyperpartisan thing where, where they spin something that is true into uh, vastly overstated and exaggerated. And I'm talking about fake news, absolute fabricated lies, nonsense, stuff that didn't happen that is dressed up to look just like real news. This is happening. It exists. And you have read some of it. It is on Facebook where anybody is a newspaper. I'm a newspaper. You could be a newspaper. Anybody who wants to be a newspaper is a newspaper. And sometimes it's easy to tell who's who when you're reading news on Facebook, and sometimes it isn't. The Times of Israel and the Denver Guardian, you could see uh, headlines and pictures 
attributed to them. And, and you might think that the Times of Israel or the Denver Guardian are, are venerable newspapers that have been serving their regional audiences for the past century. Uh, but they're not. They're both recent digital-only information sources. One is heavily ideologically torqued, and the other one is just totally fake. Sometimes a news story will pop up on your newsfeed and Facebook, and you'll, you'll sort of twig that there is something sketchy or slanted about the news organization. Uh, Eagle Rising News or Occupy Democrats, you sort of can, can sort of tell that there's something uh, sketchy or slanted. But, you know, whatever. The headline grabs your attention, and it enters your consciousness, and maybe you click through, maybe you share it anyhow. This is happening because Facebook has flattened the game. It's not like in the old days when you would go into the store and there would be a big fat Sunday New York Times right by the cash register. It'd be like seven or eight bucks and it would have a couple glossy magazines. And then, you know, in the back corner on the lowest shelf, there'd be some local rags for a dollar or two. And you sort of got a sense of the gravitas of the organization by the way that they presented themselves and what they cost. But now everything's free and there is no store. Just a steady feed of headlines and pictures on Facebook. And look, I, I, I like it that way. I like the level playing field. I like a space where it's not about who owns the printing press and who has the distribution. That's not what determines what gets you read. It's just whether or not people want to hear what you have to say, which I always thought had something to do with the value and credibility of what you had to say. It's why we can do Canada land. But it is not all good. During the U.S. election, fake news won. And again, I am not talking about spin. I'm not talking about whether we focus too much on Hillary's emails or Trump's hair. I'm talking about lies, straight up lies, dressed up like news. And what we've learned since Trump's victory is that in the last few weeks of the election, fake news was shared more than real news, which is pretty shocking. And it's something that we know because of Craig Silverman the editor of BuzzFeed Canada, and full disclosure, a guy who I have known for years, uh, who I once worked with on a failed magazine idea. Craig Silverman has been writing this incredible series of articles uh, for BuzzFeed revealing how fake news has proliferated on Facebook, where it comes from, which is incredibly interesting and disturbing, and why it exists and who is making money from it. And his reporting is one of the few good things that have come out of the media during this election, one that has very few people in the media holding their heads up high. Silverman's coverage is arguably the reason why Google and Facebook are now cracking down on fake news, and Craig will tell you the whole story in a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Steve Welch, Jeff Jamieson, James Tiao, Aman, Johnny Martinuk, Chris Holfenden, Dale Hagland, and John DeGray. John, why did you decide to be awesome? Because I think that the reporting is important and that everybody should have access to it, including myself. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. 
This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by Hover.com. And I often talk about Hover is a great place to get a URL for your idea if you are starting a website. But the fact of the matter is, if you have a website and you dealt with all of your URL stuff and set up the email, you might have had such a bad experience if you were using the wrong domain service that the last thing you want to do is muck around there again. But you're going to have to deal with that crappy company that you chose sooner or later when it comes up and they're going to try to upsell you. You can just switch it over to hover.com and do everything through Hover. They will manage your email. They will manage your URL. We use them for those things, and I don't worry about interactions with a crappy domain company anymore. Their prices are good. Their support is fantastic. And again, there's none of that predatory upselling and junk that goes along with some of the shadier companies that are in the same business. So go to Hover.com and use the offer code CanadaLand to get 10% off of your first purchase. This episode is also brought to you by Giftogram. This message is for everybody's benefit. You are going to be buying gifts soon. It's going to happen. You can't get out of this, but you have control over how you do it. You could be lost in a soul-crushing maze of retail commerce, or you could just get this done in seconds using this app, Giftogram, on your iPhone, on your Android device. This is like three taps, and the gift is sent. There's a gift guide that saves you a lot of time. You can figure out your price point, who it's for, box of macarons, new hat, whatever. This stuff is being curated. It's being picked out. It's all good stuff. But the real time saver here is that you just pick from your list of existing contacts on your phone who you want to send the gift to, and you don't mess around with their address. They just get a message instantly saying that you bought them a gift, and they enter the information of where they want it sent to. It arrives at their door in three to five business days, and you're done. Giftogram is so certain that you are going to fall in love with their service. It's going to save you so much time. It's going to be such a help to you that they're essentially just giving you 20 bucks. Listeners of this podcast will just get $20 towards their first gift. That's just 20 free. You're going to spend this money anyhow on somebody's gift. So just go download the Giftogram app, use the gift code CanadaLand, and you'll get 20 bucks off your first purchase. Go check this out. Take their money, download Giftogram. Give me some examples of the fake news that mattered during this past election. One of the biggest, in fact, perhaps the biggest fake news story that I found was a false story from a totally dubious site that had only been launched earlier this year, claiming that the Pope had endorsed Donald Trump. And that got almost a million Facebook engagements, which is the aggregate of shares, reactions, likes, sad face, what have you, and also comments. So you can't really get a good breakdown out of that. And we just have this one big lump sum number to compare against another. Okay, 
that one, of course, is a big deal. Who the Pope endorses, and and a million people share that, react to that, whatever. I guess I would assume it's more than a million readers if you've got a million engagements. We've also got uh, a very popular story, a conspiracy theory about a Hillary Clinton body double, a story about a Canadian mayor lecturing Muslim immigrants about integration, a claim that Obama's last address at the UN saw him tell Americans they need to give up their freedom and exchange it for a new world government. Welcome. (laughs) A false claim that a football player had been told not to pray by the NFL. This is the thing. And people will say, the thing I hear a lot from people is like, oh, well, it could be true. Yeah. And I think that's how they're designed is things that appeal to your to your biases. And uh, okay, the left wing news site said that Trump wants to expel all Muslims from the U.S. And that Trump said that U.S. women in the military should expect to be raped. These are false claims that, that fake left wing news sites put out there. And a claim that TV networks would not be fact-checking Donald Trump in any way. So there's plenty of lies on either side, not to draw a false equivalency because there are distinctions, I think, in how these perform. Yeah, and we also we did find a, a greater percentage of false and misleading content coming from the, the right-leaning, hyper-partisan pages. Okay, so you have been basically leading the journalistic inquiry into, like, where is this fake news coming from and who is doing it? Are they lying to me out of hyper-partisanship because they have a political agenda or are they lying to me because they want me to click so they can get some Google ad money? Who are these fake news providers, fake news sites? When we get into the, to the world of partisan stuff, you will often find people who do identify as, you know, yeah, I'm a conservative or yes, I'm a liberal. And they run these sites. And, and so there is an ideological alignment there. But at the end of the day, you know, the sense I have from speaking to some of them is, is that the people who own the sites are running a business. Like that's the bottom line for them. Now- the, the most kind of shocking and fascinating thing you wrote was about this town in Macedonia. Can you tell me about the role that these Macedonian teenagers played in the fake news business in this election? It's This, this was uh, definitely in the category of very surprising and unexpected things. Uh, so myself and a researcher named Lawrence Alexander decided to go looking, using a variety of investigative techniques, to go looking in a bunch of countries where Russian influence is relatively strong in some ways. And we wanted to see, are there... Is there pro-Trump stuff in that country that might have, you know, an an influence from the Kremlin behind it? And so we started looking and we found some pro-Trump sites in Italy that were aligned with the far right there. And then we found this cluster of just a few at first sites uh, out of this town, Veles, or it might be Velish. I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. About 45,000 people, central Macedonia, uh, former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia. I should probably say people got mad at me when I just straight up called it Macedonia. There's a Greek thing going on there. Okay. Um, so let's do that. Uh, and so we found a few sites and we looked at them and, you know, the owner information was not hidden as it oftentimes is. And they just seemed to be kind of grabbing and aggregating or plagiarizing whatever stuff was doing well on the U.S. sites. And the sense we had was, oh, there's some people trying to make money here. And the more we dug into it and we discovered that The Guardian had actually found like 150 sites out of there and we found a Macedonian article, but we didn't have a list. So we had to build our own list and we ended up finding 140 sites. I emailed more than 50 of the people running these sites, spoke to, I guess, about five or six of them and a good portion of those were teenagers who were doing this. And in some cases, it's just making some extra money. Uh, But it's something that's relatively widespread among people in the town, among internet savvy young men in Macedonia. They're running 
pro-Trump leaning websites. They're also running, you know, motorcycle life websites. They're running health websites. There's just a, a market there for putting out crap information and attracting Americans to it. Did they care which candidate was going to win? The people I spoke to for the most part didn't really care. It was it was a money making operation. Like one guy was a musician and he wanted extra money to buy equipment. And the economy's not so good there is something that was mentioned to me a lot. And there were other people, uh, one guy said to me he thought Trump was going to win, but not necessarily a huge supporter. And there have been other people who who said to us and also that Macedonian publication that, yeah, they, they do support Trump. But the sense I get is these are folks who are running a lot of other sites as well in many cases. And the Trump content just happened to be the flavor of 2016. So if you are in the business of selling fake news, there's more money to be made selling fake pro-Trump than fake uh, pro Hillary Clinton. Yeah, they. The crazy thing is, they kind of did this test market of it. Like, if you look at the sites, a lot of these sites were just registered in in 2016. Some of them as recently as just a few months ago. But when you look at the ones that have been around since the early part of the year, initially they started out just kind of doing political news in general, and some of them actually decided to go pro Bernie. I found a couple of those. And but then as Trump kind of gained momentum and then as really as he became the nominee, all of a sudden they became, you know, more pro Trump. They started doing anti Clinton conspiracy theories. And that was where they started to get the most traction. And they seem to have run this like anybody doing an analytics based Internet business. You just look at like we changed this. We tried one on Bernie. We tried one pro Trump. This is where the money came from. They tweak. I mean, a Macedonian teenager doesn't know much about what the political narrative is. So they must be just inferring from what legitimate news sites are talking about and then exaggerating those things and trying to just a B testing until they come up with the moneymaker. I mean, their approach, 100%. Like, you could even say at, at BuzzFeed, we try stuff and we try stuff, we figure out what works, we do more of that. And, like, we might do it to death, which was a, a frequent criticism of us. But 100%, like, what they were doing was was looking and seeing what was doing really well for other sites and then, you know, quickly aggregating that or sometimes just copying it. But I wouldn't say they were looking at mainstream media. I mean, they were they found themselves into that echo chamber, that nook of the really kind of far-right, fringy type type sites that were doing the conspiracy theories that were doing the crazy stuff and they they parroted the you know really over the top headline style that a lot of the hyperpartisan right sites use what kind of money are we talking about if you have a story that really takes off and goes viral so one of the Macedonians told me that their friend, I think the best he'd done was like four or five thousand US in a day, which is pretty good. I mean it's it's actually really good. And over know? there, it's even better. Over there, it's even better. And I mean, if you think about it, th- I mean, this is, they're taking advantage of, of an ecosystem that exists where uh, up until Google just changed its mind recently, it's, you could get one of these sites into its AdSense advertising program really easily. You can throw up a WordPress site without really having any technical knowledge. You can buy a domain name for a small amount of money and then you start a Facebook page. Like the whole thing is not complicated to do. And, you know, between Facebook and Google and other things out there, like you don't need a lot of technical expertise. So they, you know, they were able to get this stuff up and running really quickly with, with, you know, almost no investment. Though it's a lot of money for them in the grand scheme of this election where billions are spent, it's not a lot of money. And yet it has an incredible amount of impact. And one of the things you've been looking into is trying, it's a hard thing to do, but trying to measure the impact. So we take two stories, for example, uh, and I'm looking at a comparison that you wrote about one real, 
and I think kind of inarguably of high news value, the New York Times revelation that uh, they got their hands on Trump's uh, tax uh, figures and basically inferred that he probably has been paying no tax since, was it 94? Uh, 95, I think. Since 95. And then you look at a fake story that you tracked that uh, falsely claimed that the Pope had endorsed Trump. How do those stories do just in terms of people reading them and sharing them? I mean, the fake one kicked ass is, is, is the short way of putting it. Uh, that had it was, you know, it was close to a million engagements. And the New York Times one, I think, was less than 200,000 Facebook uh-huh. engagements. Apples to apples with the Times story. It kicked the Times story's ass. But, there's, but it's, this is a sloppy science because you can't you don't know how many people saw that fake story, read it, believed it, but didn't engage with it. Uh, nor do you know how much off Facebook traffic the New York Times story got. But if we just look at that one common metric of engagements, the fake story kicked ass. The fake story kicked ass. And and I mean, I, I'm almost certain that the New York Times story in the end got more traffic. But, you know, for the, for the person running the one that did the Pope story, I mean, it's it's about it's about money. And I'm sure they did well with that story for what they were looking for. Uh, and I mean, part of it is just look trying to measure attention around it. If you're measuring the attention on Facebook for something, the only kind of tool we have right now is total engagements because Facebook doesn't release a lot of other data. And so if you're doing that kind of apples to apples on Facebook, yeah, the fake story did so much better. And it would be wonderful to know how many people shared it because they thought it was true, how many people you know commented on it saying, oh, maybe it's not true. We don't know those details, but we know that with that big number, a lot of people saw it. Yeah, I mean, that's where this stuff gets a lot harder to account for. I saw a lot of stuff I was making. I think everybody makes split second credibility decisions of like, oh, that's an interesting headline. But what is that U.S. uncut? Is that some hyperpartisan thing? Is that some just commercial ploy? It's entered my consciousness. It might be influencing me in some small way, but I don't click on it and I don't believe it the same way that I would a Times story, let's say. The other thing is that ultimately what we're trying to get to and what Zuckerberg had to contend with is, did this have any influence on the election? Now, because you're serving pro-Trump stuff to people who are defined by the algorithm as probably pro-Trump, they may be going in that direction anyhow and it had no impact. I guess what we can say for sure and what, what you are able to measure is just that fake news was big, that fake news played a very big role in people's information diet leading up to this election. And uh, maybe you can give us a little bit of numeric context on that, especially with comparison to how it played against mainstream news. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's, it's a big question and, and I don't have a full answer to it. And I think anyone saying one that Trump won because of fake news is just, you know, that's, it's not a, it's not a claim that anybody can back up. But neither is the claim from Mark Zuckerberg that more than 99% of what they have on Facebook is true and accurate and that Facebook and that uh, false news didn't have an impact. Um, which he said. He which said, he said. He said it's a crazy idea that false news had an impact on the campaign. So, I mean, just because we, we can't prove and I don't think there's any way you could prove that it would swing the election one way or the other. It's actually a really dramatic thing for Mark Zuckerberg to say that fake news, which you can show, you can demonstrate was in some cases, larger than real news for people to be consuming that much information on Facebook and for it to have no impact on them or their decisions. It's almost like him saying what you read on Facebook doesn't work, which has implications for his advertising product. Well, there's that. But the other implication is that when Facebook has played a role in, um, you know, in the, the Arab Spring several years ago, 
and Facebook, the company, has also talked about other elections where if where the company felt that it played a, a positive role. All of a sudden, the U.S. election happens. People are worried about the fake news, and Facebook is sort of saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. we don't help influence elections. We don't help you know influence movements." And the fact is, in the past, they have really talked that up a little bit, and so that's that's one of the big problems with this right now. Hypocrisy. That how can it, how can it only work when it's a good thing, but when it's uh, people making decisions based on false information, then of course, oh, that's crazy that that could work. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, and I know as of right now, we've had some reporting at BuzzFeed from a colleague of mine who says there's a group of employees, a, a, a group that's growing of Facebook employees who formed their own task force to look at this. And I suspect that we will see some big movement for the first time, some big movement from Facebook on this. And I, I say that as somebody who has been um, unnaturally obsessed with this particular issue for probably about three years. And, and I did a, a research project on it. And Facebook, you know, sort of showed interest here and there but never really did big things and now for me I really wonder over the next three months if they put some wood behind this in terms of their organ you know wood behind the arrow in their in their organization and say okay let's let's really make some impact on this I think they could actually do a lot well they have finally backed away from Zuckerberg's first dismissive stance and they've announced some policy changes haven't they so they announced why uh, they followed on Google Google announced that it would not allow fake sites to be part of the AdSense program anymore and I talked to an owner of 10 fake news websites yesterday who said he'd already been booted. Um, but he also said he'd find another ad network and this is just an inconvenience. Sure, um, he's, he's got marketable skills. Listen, a lot of the people that I've talked to in the past 24 hours who run these sites have all said, I get emails all day long of people trying to get me onto their ad network. Uh-huh. Uh, so they, they do big traffic and people need to put their inventory somewhere. And uh, so so Facebook followed on what Google did and said, yeah, we won't allow fake sites to use our advertising tools. Now, I don't know anybody who's running a fake site that was using a lot of Facebook's advertising tools, you know, post promotion or what have you. So I don't think that's actually the thing that going to change it. They were using Facebook the same way that, w- that we use it, uh, that everybody uses it. They were just posting a thing to Facebook and then the ne- and then it would just do very well on that platform. Facebook is saying you can't actually like buy a boost the way that, that some people do. You see a New York Times sponsored post. So no big deal there. But the Google AdWords uh, being cut off from the Google Ad Network, that is pretty impactful, isn't it? Yeah. And I think even just as a stance from Google, it's really important. Uh, AdSense is, you know, the biggest and AdSense is very easy to use. So it's a real inconvenience from people. I I've heard from at least one of the Macedonians that I wrote about, uh, a guy who's 16, who's very upset about losing AdSense for his site, and in fact sent me an invoice for 10,000 euro to make up for his lost income. <laughs> you better pay that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I f- I'm, I'm worried about the number of very angry Macedonians <laughs> who are thinking about me right now. I would be too. <laughs> okay, well, that means that Google and Facebook have to make determinations about what is a fake news site and what is not a fake news site. When you say fake news to me, I think of like The Onion or The Daily Show, which are deliberately and explicitly in the fake news business. And everybody uh, with a half a brain who, who reads them is like, oh, this is fake news for, for entertainment and humor purposes. And I know that that distinction satire fake news is one that a lot of these uh, kind of obviously fraudulent fake news sites use for cover. They they slap a, this site is for satiric purposes only disclaimer somewhere. And maybe they even do throw a few funny articles up so that they can back up their claim that they're just a humor site. Um, 
I ask this, I don't want to seem like overly naive because I can look at these sites and I think that that's no great skill of my own. I think anybody could look at The Onion uh, and then look at some of these fake news sites and be like, oh, well, that's obviously a fake news site that's trying to fool me for political or for monetary reasons. That's The Onion. It's a funny site. If you had a human making these editorial judgments, maybe you could very clearly figure out which one's fake and which one's funny. Does this present a problem for you know free speech? Facebook controls so much of the conversation. Are they going to be getting false positives? Uh, so, I mean, yeah, there's there's some really sticky, potentially very sticky things here that Facebook needs to avoid. One, uh, and and this is not the direction they're going in. One, if Facebook really clamped down and did hire a bunch of people to review tons of content, they could start censoring stuff and they could do it in a really bad way and that would be a horrible thing. So we don't want we don't want that extreme. Um, the other end of it is that Facebook at one point did uh, put a, some labeling on satirical sites content and they had a little satire label that you could see and that's kind of disappeared as far as I can see. So for whatever reason, they got rid of that and right now the the challenge really is more with google first because they've said we're going to keep fake sites out of adsense they're going to be doing some human review as well as some automated review and i know there's a bunch of people who run sites that are kind of toe the line that i know who are really worried about that and who don't think that google will do a good job distinguishing because i mean this was the original fear when a lot of the wild open internet kind of coalesced on facebook and to a lesser extent twitter and some other places is that now it's just a shopping mall and it's only a matter of time before they just say, okay, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. We've anointed the following news organizations like, you know, professional status. Though they do have that blue check mark, which they, which some fake, I don't think we have it at Canada Land, but some of the fake news sites you looked at have it. Yeah. Some of the the really uh, far edge hyper-partisan sites that when we did our study of them, we only chose pages that were verified because that supposedly would indicate higher quality. And the Huffington Post just published a story where they looked at a bunch more of those verified sites, found they were pushing tons of misinformation. And the truth is that the verified check um, is is not meant to sort of be a sign of approval for their content. Uh, Facebook very, very much does not want to be seen as the arbiter of content. They call themselves a platform. They don't want to be seen as a publisher or a media company. Part of that, I think, is financial. If you are a public company and you're seen as a media company, your multiple of your valuation is lower than if you're a tech company. But part of it is also I, they just don't want to have to take on this huge responsibility of deciding what's true, what's not, what should be there, what isn't. Um, you know, right now they have humans reviewing stuff that might be, you know, violent content or graphic content. The idea that they would start to fact check the entire internet on Facebook for them, I think is something they don't want any part of. Well, it sounds a lot like journalism. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I have to say there's a lot of journalists, good journalists who keep proposing that the solution to all this is Facebook should hire a bunch of journalists and they should just edit Facebook. Let's play with that. They could. They have the money. Uh, I don't think it's feasible. There are almost 1.8 billion people logging into Facebook every month. There's about a billion logging in, I think, every day. Yeah, but they can, when a story starts to really circulate, it could trigger off the algorithm. You could have, you know, robots and machines and, and humans could work together. Yes. This is possible. And in fact, this is sort of what was done when they originally had an editorial team on the Facebook trending news story thing. And then there was, it was revealed that they were spiking right wing stuff and, and well, then he, they, they, then they yeah. threw them all out and the robots took over. And then when the robots took over, that's when fake news really blossomed. So there's a couple things about the trending thing that's, that is kind of weird. So the first thing is that nobody ever proved that there was actual suppression of conservative content going on. A couple of uh, anonymous sources said that, you know, that was sort of happening 
uh, and there's been no subsequent actual proof of that. Um, but if people are claiming that, that's a big thing, and Facebook took it really seriously. The other thing that people should know is that there are actually still humans involved with trending. Um, so they had people with a journalism background who really more were in an editorial role, and they had very detailed guidelines that that have been posted publicly. But when this accusation happened, Facebook did work very quickly to get rid of all those people. And what they've done is replace them with a new team who have much, much lower kind of grade guidelines, who are much more hands off, who do not have an editorial background. And so they kicked out the journalists. They've put in some more humans. But yeah, 100% since they made that change, the trending list has had a bunch of false stuff go into it. And, and on top of that, Facebook has announced it actually wants to scale trending to its global audiences around the world. So they're going to take this process that they've got and they're going to scale it. What brought us the fake news that some people would say brought us Trump is, go- is going global. I mean, trending right now is not a hugely uh, influential product. What really matters is newsfeed. You know, you go into you yeah. go into Facebook and you see what's what's there, right? And that's that drives a huge amount of traffic. Well, let's let me just challenge this idea that this is a humans versus machines thing because when you write an algorithm, you are making editorial decisions. Yeah. If, if I mean, whether you make them or not, you're making a decision. You could say, let's uh, oh, make this um, a scientific mathematical process where we have points, credibility points. Uh, if you are a, an established mainstream, you start off with more points than somebody who's just starting a new thing. And then you could bring in engagement if people, you know, uh, click a little box and say that this, this news story helped me. And then you've got fact checking. You, you could you could bring in anything you want to try to prioritize. And, it, and the result of that will be that some types of information will be prioritized over others. Alternately, you could wash your hands of the whole thing and say, hey, we're just a platform and whatever people want to share and read and believe that's up to them. And you're also making a decision about truth. You're making an editorial decision that nobody's information is better than anybody else's information. Either way you cut it, you're just sort of dealing with news decisions in a different way. Yeah, and, and Facebook is doing everything it can to reject the idea that it is it is exercising editorial control. But 100%, a human writes the rules for an algorithm. That algorithm goes out, goes out and makes decisions based on those rules. And over time, the humans go in and they tweak it and they tweak it and they tweak it. It is absolutely, in that sense, an edited kind of product. But what they don't want is, you know, the humans making the one-to-one decisions. One reason is that just doesn't scale. And Facebook with a large user base doesn't want that. And and the other, I think, frankly, Facebook is an engineering culture-driven company. You know, Mark Zuckerberg is an engineer at heart. And they want to solve things with, you know, an engineering approach. They don't want to solve things by hiring a bunch of humans, let alone a bunch of journalists who are just a nightmare to manage also. Why would you want to get into our miserable business? I, I completely understand. I just don't think that he's going to be able to walk that line forever. I mean, it seems like they're really coming. Like, how can he completely wash his hands of the implications of his platform when his information platform is the dominant information platform? And and you read it and it's, uh, here's what Vox called it, a sewer of misinformation. I mean, look, I, I spend every day looking at the misinformation and I spend the most time looking at what is on Facebook and this stuff is doing really well. And I, I recently did an analysis where I looked at the top kind of election fakes versus the top posts from about 19 big news organizations. And in the last three months of the election, the top 
posts from from the fake sites did better than the top posts from the mainstream sites. So it is a huge problem. And maybe I'm being a little too hopeful here, but I genuinely think Facebook, they've been in, in the eye of the storm now for about a week. They're taking a huge amount of criticism. There's apparently employees organizing internally. I, f- I feel like they're not going to walk away from this, but I also know that they aren't bringing in the computer scientists that I know who actually study this stuff every day and who are working on this. They don't have access to the data at Facebook. They can't talk to the engineers at Facebook. Facebook is a very closed shop in that sense. And I hope that one of the things they do is actually bring in some good academics and good researchers to help them with this, because assuming that they can fix it when it's gotten to this point already is maybe not the best mentality on it. I want to take a big step back before I let you go here and look at this through the eyes of the victors. I was alarmed to see how so much of the same stuff that I was reading was also on the right-wing side, but just getting mocked. I read something in Slate by Seth Stevenson. Did you read this piece? Uh, he was he was uh, traveling around with, um, with Trump and covering the rallies. He would go, you know, fly rally to rally, and there'd be these massive stadiums, and they would put all the press in like a cage, in like a pen. And he's like, is this to protect me from the Trump supporters? What is this for? This is what he wrote. I became convinced that we weren't at these rallies to observe. We were there to be observed. And Trump at some point, like part of his script, he would point to the press and jeer at them and mock them and encourage people to yell at them. And and, uh, this is going back, uh, quoting from Seth Stevenson. Behold, Trump said to his fans, I've rounded up a passel of those elites you detest. And I've caged them for you. Allow me to belittle them for your delight. Here, now take your turn. Go ahead. Have at it. Do it again. Don't be shy. Under President Trump, the other elites will be in cages too. We'll lock them up just like the chant goes. Just like you wanted, you'll be their captors. In retrospect, this was the core message of Trump's campaign. I'm I'm playing around with this idea, Craig, that all media was pro-Trump media. The stuff making fun of the way he talked, the stuff seizing upon every little thing he said and and trying to infer from that. What, was that about Jews? Was that about this? Was that about that? All of that fed into this movement of people who whatever you gave them, they were going to take from that, go Trump. We may be giving ourselves in the media more clout and more imagined influence than we ever had. I mean, that's sort of the scariest conclusion is that maybe it didn't really matter. It all ended up just fueling this thing. The thing for me right now, and I've talked to I talked to a couple of people who run some of these big pages, uh, mostly on the right, but also one person who works for one on the left. And my big question now is like, so what do you guys do next? Particularly when the guy's elected and he's in power, and he's it's been all about throwing the elite bombs out. Well, now you're the, you're going to be the establishment. And you're right that these sites would were able to take anything and turn it into their own message. They're really good at that. I mean, one of the guys who runs um, a really big page like this, he calls it headlining. He's just like, find that image, get that headline, get the thing that gets people moving. And now that they don't have Clinton conspiracy theories, now that they don't have Obama, they don't have clear enemies, they're in power, I wonder what how these sites are going to do that. And and I don't know how much mocking of, you know, libtards and cucks and what have you is going to is going to keep their growth going. So the question is, and I don't know the answer is like so what's what's the next play? Because yeah, like I agree that I mean, that's what was happening is they were taking anything that was seen as negative and there was a way of of turning it into something that just reinforced the way they felt anyway. I guess my final question is just this stuff scales up, no question, and it's a bulk business, and you need millions of people involved to get a few thousand dollars to a Macedonian teenager. I don't know if it scales down. 
you know, you have a big catalyzing event like the U.S. election, and there's just such huge bulk interest in it, and passions run so high that you can sell lies on mass and on fractions of a penny per click. You can still do pretty well. Are we going to see this kind of stuff in Canada? I mean, I think that if there's a buck to be made from it, we would, but I'm not sure that there's a buck to be made from it. It's yeah, I think it's there's a scale piece here. You're, you're right. Um, our population is you know roughly a tenth of the size, and if you're doing fake news about things going on in Canada, you know, small audience there. And so uh, I don't think the the revenue opportunity is as big. I've seen some sort of leaning towards hyperpartisan right sites in Canada. They don't seem to do that well. Um, I did write about two Canadian teenagers who've been doing Justin Trudeau hoaxes for a while now who are making pretty good money off that, but it's not a partisan thing. They just hit this magical combination of Justin Trudeau and weed hoaxes, and so they've just been like mining that for months now. Uh, so it, as of right now, I haven't seen these pages come here, and I think the reason is, is economics. I think the reason is money-wise, it's just not enough of a business. I think we found the silver lining to display advertising in Canada being a completely non-tenable business. This this is it. There's nobody for Google to kick out yet. Uh, sometimes being small is is arguably a good thing because it doesn't scale up to to do this. There's you know one site living and dying by Justin Trudeau hoaxes, and I don't know how many more there could be. Thanks, Craig. All right. That's your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I love getting your emails. I read everything you send me. I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com and our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. Thank everybody who participated in this year's crowdfunder. It was a huge success. We hit a bunch of our goals and our funding is up over 60%. Thank you to our patrons. The next episode of The Imposter, a very special episode recorded last weekend, the Degrassiland episode. Do check this one out. It is pretty fantastic and it will be up on Wednesday. Shortcuts will be up on Thursday. I make this show with Katie Jensen. Russell Gregg handles our syndication to college and campus radio stations to whom we offer the show for free. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're gonna be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you gonna get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.